Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the Osher Ginsberg Podcast. This is episode number 81 with Matthew Schofield. He's on Twitter at Mr. Underscore Schofield. Mr. Underscore Schofield. S-C-H-O-F-I-E-L-D. Mr. Underscore Schofield. He is a director on The Simpsons. Yes, The Simpsons. And he's from Brisbane. So uh, that's the town I grew up in. So more about him in just a moment. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for listening. Thanks for downloading. Thanks for showing your support with your download numbers. You can subscribe to the show in iTunes, um, on SoundCloud. I'm, I'm fully trying to get my back catalog up on SoundCloud, but I should be fully there soon. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, email, send Osher email at gmail.com if you want to write me anything and also I'm on Instagram. Thank you so much for all the support this week. Thanks to everyone that wrote in about the John Ferris episode. There was some absolute gold in that if you are ever considering a life outside of the uh, structured corporate world, um, ever considering a life of beating your own path, uh, that one's for you without a shadow of a doubt. He's an inspiring guy, very kind man and a very successful man. So that's uh, very good. How was your week? I hope whatever you did was good this week. I hope you found a way to do something a little different this week than you did last week, trying to change things up a bit, break up the routine. Um, I did a pilot of a big new podcast project I'm working on. I can't tell you about it, but it was pretty good. Very, very excited about it. Very excited about it. Um, hopefully, I'll be able to let you know about that in a, in a little bit of time, but uh, it's, it's going to be a big one. I'm very excited about it. Uh, rode the shit out of my bike this week. It was good. I like riding my bike through Sydney. It's really, uh, really good. They've, they've closed one of the roads through Darling Harbour though. So like I told you last week, I've got to go up through the city in the middle of the night, which is always very interesting. But uh, I had to work the other day. And normally when I work, 
um, I try and organize meetings before and after shooting. Uh, so, you know, I can ride my bike to the first meeting, ride my bike to work, ride my bike from the meeting to the next meeting, blah, 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 blah. But uh, this week I had nothing before and after. So I took my road bike, which was great, which is about, oh, I don't know, five, 10 kilos lighter than my commuter bike and uh, smashed all my, uh, all my previous times that I have on Strava, which is that cycling app I was telling you about. But honestly, it was just incredible driving, riding my bicycle um, back along the Sydney Harbour Bridge in a sunset. It just really, Sydney really is the, the greatest city in the world and the greatest country in the world. It really is just magnificent. It is the most expensive city in the world. It is ridiculously expensive to live here. But it is it's such an incredible, incredible city. And I'm very, very grateful that I have a chance to, to work here. We, uh, uh, my brain was a little better this week. Um, as I readjust to the new dosages of, uh, of meds, the, uh, some of the old things are, are kicking back in and I'm just kind of dealing with the triggers a bit. Um, I still, I've been start, starting to wake up freaked out again, but it's, uh, you know, there's a lot to be said by, you know, rolling over and just putting your hand on the shoulder of, you know, your girlfriend lying next to you and then connecting with like, this is real, this is here, this is present, getting present with that. There's a lot to be said for that. For a long time, I didn't have that. And um, it's very nice, very healthy and very healing to have that in my life. And I'm very, very grateful for the fact that I get to wake up next to someone. So that's super nice. That's super nice. She and I went to the Rocky Horror Show this week, which is a lot of fun. Loved the show. It took me way back. I used to go to watch that film every Friday night in Brisbane. Man, I've talked about it on the show before. It was, it was, it was a lot of fun. But uh, I totally geeked out in a crazy way. We, we sat down as we were sitting down my girlfriend. She's very slyly. She goes, George Decay's next to us. I said, pardon? She was George Decay's next to us. What? I can't hear at all. So she's looking, rolling her eyes like, you idiot. I'm trying to be DL about this. Sure enough, three seats down, George Takei. Sulu, Mr. Sulu was there. Uh, yeah, it was pretty amazing. I was very excited about that. But uh, yeah, it was a fun show. It was fun to get out and about. Uh, my guest this week, I am very, very excited to uh, bring you his name is Matthew Schofield. He's Mr. Schofield, Mr. Underscore Schofield on Twitter. He is the supervising storyboard director on The Simpsons. Yeah, The Simpsons, the longest running comic cartoon franchise mainly making thing in the history of television. He's directed six episodes, uh, but he's now the supervising storyboard director. So he's kind of like the last guy that, anyway, he's a big deal. He's a big, big deal. But I first met him when he used to come over to my house and play Dungeons and Dragons with me and my brother back in the 80s in Brisbane. He was the comic book kid. He was a skinny comic book kid in the corner. And in this conversation, he tells the story of how he went from being that to working on films like The Iron Giant and then working on The Simpsons. He's been at Simpsons for 16 years now. He's Matthew's very funny. This is a very different show, a different conversation. This one, he's very funny and you can get why he's so successful in orchestrating a creative team because he speaks with a very gentle cadence. It's not like I'm speaking now. You'll hear our conversation. We shift down a gear and it's a very measured cadence that comforts you as much as it holds your attention. So there is a different pace of conversation here, but I promise you it is just wonderful. The things that Matthew has to say, and his story 
is really, really great. This is very, very nerdy. I really must warn you. We talk about all kinds of incredibly nerdy workflow business when it comes to the production of The Simpsons, about you know animation keyframes, about you know the, the process of in-betweening and, and line editing and things like this. It's very, very nerdy, but if you're into that kind of thing, you are going to absolutely love it because it's really, really detailed. And he was very generous with how much detail he went into about how The Simpsons gets produced. It's magnificent, actually. So uh, I talk a lot about dreams on this show. And uh, we talked a lot about dreams last week with John Ferreter and the week before with Tara Reid. Matthew followed his dream. He followed his dream tirelessly. It never occurred to him that his dream wouldn't manifest. He got his dream. But there was no special method that he followed except for initial talent plus very hard work plus relationships plus an unstoppable work ethic. And that's how he ended up where he ended up. That's pretty much it. If anything resonates with you in this conversation, you can find Matthew on Twitter at Mr. Underscore Schofield. Enjoy this conversation in my house in Venice Beach, very far away from his house in Burbank or Glendale or somewhere far away. Enjoy. Matthew Schofield. All right. We're now rolling. Okay. Let me have a... Early episodes, people got very upset at how much tea slipping there was. <laughs> oh, on the audience. Got yeah, it. yeah. And I say to them, you don't know what my get my char tastes like. Get a load of this. That's good shit. You got, you got to do one of those. <laughs> <laughs> After you, are you going to taste again my char? Yes, I, hang on. <laughs> Hello, Matthew. Hello, Osha. How, How are, are you, man? I'm all right. Last time I saw you, I think it was 1989 and I was still called Andrew. Yes, it was a, long, it was a, it was a literal lifetime ago. <laughs> it really yeah. was. It was 24 years ago. It was bizarre because, um, you know, I have been living over here in LA for almost 19 years now and I... The, I think, yeah, the last I heard of what you were doing, you were working for B105 in Brisbane. Yeah. Um, and uh, and then somebody said, you know Andrew Ginsberg? And I was like, yeah, he's hosting the Australian version of American Idol. I was like, what? <laughs> wow, really? So, yeah, it was just like this yeah. amazing kind of, like it was almost like a time capsule thing like because I you know obviously lost touch with you and lost touch with your brother who I you know went to high school with in the same grade um so yeah it's good to see you again and you and it is it is it is good to see you again now when I was getting ready for this there are two Matt Schofields on IMDB yeah I think one's a Matt painter so that's not you that's not me I'm the other one. <laughs> Though a Matt Painter would be pretty cool to be. Yeah, no, and he's I think uh he's uh got some work online and if it's the same guy, because I'm actually I actually follow two other Matt Schofields on Twitter. And one of them is a Canadian artist who's a far better artist than I am. <laughs> he's put, you know, he's got like gallery shows and stuff like that. Matt Paint. There'd be a lot less meetings with Matt Painting. 
People right. just, just leave you alone. Yeah, yeah. I'm busy drawing the cityscape. Right. <laughs> yes. It's very solid. <laughs> the Tron's going to fly through. Yeah, and it's yeah. an eight-second shot, but it's going right. to look great. Exactly. exactly. Uh, but um, so you're here now. You are a one of the people who directs The Simpsons. Yeah, yeah. Well, at the moment, I'm the supervising storyboard director on The Simpsons. So I've moved out of directing individual episodes and now I oversee the storyboard process for all the episodes in a given season. And that's just started this current season that we're working on now. So kind of a big deal. Oh, I guess <laughs> it's a, it is a big deal. So I, what I'm interested to find out today is not only how, you know, the Simpsons works because crikey, right. who doesn't want to know how the Simpsons works, right. but how did you, a, a kid from the suburbs of Brisbane mm. who I remember playing Dungeons and Dragons with, yes, uh, come to this, which uh, is really interesting. So don't worry, we'll get there. All right. Um, I don't particularly remember you as being someone who was handy with drawing things. At what point oh. in your life did you go, I'm better at this than other people are? Uh, well, I started drawing as I always liked drawing as a little kid. And um, it was around grade nine that 14 you know, years old. Yeah, around 14 or 13 that I started um, getting into comic books, like reading comic books quite voraciously and then I noticed that oh yeah people draw these and that's their job so that's when I started to think wow wouldn't it be cool to have that as a job and uh, so through the rest of high school I started to kind of focus on um, trying to somehow work out how to get a job drawing comics and back then in Brisbane. In Brisbane, there was no <laughs> college university course that dealt with drawing comics specifically. And I didn't really want to get into graphic design or advertising. And so the closest course that I could find in Brisbane was the Queensland College of Art Animation course. They had a Bachelor of uh, Visual Arts majoring in animation. So I applied for that and I got in and still up until like my last year at QCA, um, I still wanted to just do comics and everything that I was doing, all my animation exercises and stuff in college were all like superheroes, superheroes, superhero, like all focused on, no, I want to do comics. That's all I want to do. Um, but then uh, in the last year of college, I saw um, Lion King came out, I think, and I watched that and just saw not only how popular that became, but also um, there's some really good animation in that. And there was one particular piece of animation where um, Simba's dad gets mad at him and he kind of crouch, he sort of, drops his head down below, the, they're in the grass and he gets kind of scared of his dad yelling at him and his ears flop down. So it's a very animal uh, piece of behaviour, very sort of keenly observed piece of animal behaviour but also uh, throwing in a bit of the anthropomorphic kind of character of the father and son sort of relationship. And so I just 
that kind of really sunk in and I thought, oh, wow, there's, there's definitely an art to animating and getting that acting to come through in what's essentially um, just two-dimensional drawings. And in the case of CG animation, it's not even that. It's just points of light on a screen that don't exist anywhere else except on the screen. So that sort of fascinated me that you can sort mm. of affect people's emotional states with something that you create with your hand, you know, a drawing that can say this character's sad or this character's happy and make the audience feel sad or happy for that character. So that's when I decided to um, sort of change course and mm -hmm. try and get a job in animation. So when you were in, in high school, did you take art in high school? Yeah, I, I had to, I didn't take art in grades nine and 10 because you probably remember at our high school, you had to choose like three elective subjects when That's you right. went into grade nine and 10, and then you could choose more elect. I can't remember how many more it was, but you could choose more elective subjects in 11 and 12. And I didn't choose art in grades nine and 10, because at that point I was thinking, oh, I'll go into like journalism or something to do with writing. Cause I was pretty good at English as well. Um, and so I had to meet with the art teacher um, when it came time to choose the subjects for 11 and 12 and show her like drawings that I'd been doing on my own at home to, you know, so that she would know like, oh, he is interested in art and he can draw and he's not going to be like completely lost and he's not doing it for just like a bit of a bludge mm. subject, you know. Um, so and she liked my drawings and said, okay, yeah, this is great. I'd love to have you in the class. So I did art in 11 and 12. And, and what was it? Was it hard to get into QCA, the Queensland College of Art? Um, it was an interview process and a portfolio submission and um i had gone to they had an open day they do that every year so went to the open day and um looked around the animation department and saw that um some of the students there were using commodore amiga computers this is like such a blast from the past. This is back in the eighties, man. So this um, is you would have been like, this is eighty eight. You would have gone to this, this open is day. Eighty nine. Went to the open day. Um, first year of college. Netscape one is still. Netscape one is still five years away. Yes, All right, let's exactly. just remember that. Yeah. You know what Netscape is? I can't help you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sorry, millennials. Yeah. You might be listening to this. This is all going to seem very foreign. But uh, there was this. There was this computer program that they were using to do animation exercises at the college that I just happened to have on my computer at home. And so I thought, oh, I'm gonna start doing some little pieces of animation. And it was real simple stuff at that point, just like cycling animation of like a car that's just held in the, in the frame and then like signposts animating past. So it simulates the movement of panning with a car that sort of stuff. So real simple stuff, but that I included that in my portfolio. Um, and I think that sort of impressed the uh, lecturers who um, ran the course and um, yeah, they 
accepted me to the course, but I definitely wasn't by any means um, the best student in the class or, you know, I was just in the middle. What do you learn at, at, at art school? Like, oh. I mean, I mean, just imagine like first year must just be, well, the thing is in Australia, you can drink in your first year of university. It's 18 is the legal right. drinking age. And so right. all of a sudden you're no longer wearing a tie to school every day. Yes. There's girls, there's drugs and alcohol. Right. And it's completely okay to stay up till three in the morning, smoking weed and talking about <laughs> de- depression and the effects of Picasso's blue period. Right. And everyone's going, yes, yes. <laughs> well, I didn't do much of that. Um, I did go out drinking most weekends with my friends from college, but um, uh, yeah, you do. Uh, they had like a foundation kind of course for the first year where you have to learn, you have to take art history and you have to take like a semiotics course, which is, you know, study of signs and symbols in art. So you can then analyze artwork, you know, famous artworks and, and sort of say, well, what was the artist trying to say? And look at the, you know, I, I remember it was a big, um, the, the, the sort of, uh, catchphrase was juxtaposition Every, all the students it was like the first time we'd heard the word juxtaposition and everybody in my first year class kept like kept repeating oh is that a juxtaposition of this and that you know because it was just such a funny sounding word I guess but uh uh and then that we we were taught like the basics of um how to animate um Walt Disney uh, and the artists at the Walt Disney Studio when it first started in the 30s and 40s, they pretty much developed all the principles through trial and error that are still used today. Have yeah. you been out there? Have you seen the cameras and stuff out there? Um, no, I haven't seen. I mean, I've, I've been on the Walt Disney uh, lot, and you know, because I've got, I've, having worked over here now for almost 20 years, I've got friends who, and the animation industry is a pretty small uh, business. So you see the same people yeah. moving from studio to studio. So I've had friends who've worked at Disney. I've never worked at Disney's myself. But, um, yeah, I've, I haven't seen um, anything that they've got, like, deep in the archives. You have to be an employee to... But they've got all the stuff from all the movies, like all the drawings and yeah. all the cells and stuff. They've got it all in their archives and the animators at Disney still go in and refer to old scenes if they need to, you know, just to see like, oh, how did this animator do it when, you know, this spectacular piece of animation uh, in, you know, Pinocchio or whatever. I went to a screening there once and they they had one of the cameras out there in the lobby. Yes, they do have. Yeah, they sort of use their lobby as like a little kind of little mini museum. museum. Yeah. So they'll put like maquettes, which are those statues that they have sculpted of the characters for the animators to. Oh, sorry, I bumped the microphone. Um, <laughs> um, they have the you know the maquettes, which are like uh, the sculptures that the animators work from when they need to turn yeah. a figure in three dimensions and you got to see like oh what does this character top of this character's head look like and you can you know you yeah have, have it like a drawing but they've got the day. they've got the actual camera that's uh yeah the multi-plane camera yeah it's like yeah, four a, stories high yeah it's quite a piece of mechanical engineering it's astonishing it must and it must have taken like 20 or 30 people to operate 
I'm not sure how many people it was a lot. operated it, but uh, so it's basically yeah. like the the bottom frame is the background, the, the very very background, yeah. and then six feet up from that, and a slightly smaller frame, slightly smaller gel because of the uh, the way the optics of the camera work is yes. the is the houses, and then above that is the birds that fly by, and above that right. is the people in the background, and above right. that is the, the Snow White and the dwarves walking down the. Yeah, thing, and then everyone's like the logging of which frames have been shot and not shot. Right, the the people operating at frame by frame, like I can't even begin to imagine the project management that would go yeah. into that. Yeah, well, the amazing thing about back doing it back in the old days is that there's no delete button and there's no undo button. So if they made a mistake, it's you know, back to the beginning again, let's start again, take all the artwork back, wind the camera back up. The multi-plane camera, the idea of that is there's some pretty uh, amazing shots in Pinocchio in particular where the camera seems to move through space and past those houses that you were talking about and stuff is still animating in front of the camera while the camera is moving forward. So when, you, when you're only taking one frame at a time, you can engineer how far we're going to be progressing towards the background, how far past those houses we get and how quickly those birds are going to fly through the frame at the same time. So, yeah, it's this very precise kind of way of engineering the mechanics of the scene that, I still find fascinating. Um, there's a, a book that just came out about the guy who was kind of Disney's technical specialist. I think his name was Hermann Schultheis. And um, he was a German guy and his job at the studio was basically coming up with mechanically how are we going to actually make this effect that Walt wants happen under the camera and you know once the film is played back at 24 frames a second make it look like it's just moving very naturally it's a long and, long way from programming a walk cycle putting in two keyframes and hitting yes, render yes yes <laughs> yeah things have been made a little easier not that you know because I'm I've never done CG animation. I mean, we do use computers now on the Simpsons, but it's still, you know, we still draw the characters by hand, we just draw them on Cintiq monitors. Right. Um, so uh, I'm sure there's a level of complexity to CG animation and I'm not going to like uh, poo-poo or denigrate the, uh, the good work that uh, CG animators do because that's amazing in its own right. What did you learn at art school at uh, university that you still use today? Um, I learned... Uh, Principles of uh, stretch and squash, which is um, gives gives a sort of uh, feeling of weight and uh, and gravity to animated forms, so that um, say a ball is thrown at a wall. If you're animating the ball, the ball is going to be a round shape until it hits that wall, and then it's going to look like it's compressing against the wall into an oval shape. That's the squash. And then when it pops back off the wall, it's going to go 
into an oval shape sort of perpendicular to the one that's against the wall, and that's the stretch. So those two principles, that's a very basic way of explaining it, gets much more complex when you're applying that to like a character or something, but you still want to um, have that sort of subtlety in the drawings, adding stretch and squash when the character moves is going to make it feel more organic. And because you're only dealing with these drawings being on frame for one or two frames at a time, um, you're not going to really see it, but you're going to feel it. Like the audience will subconsciously feel that, but they're not going to notice like, oh, why did his head squash like, you know, why is his head all squashed? It's not going to look weird if it's just a quick mm -hmm. squash down and then pop back out to the regular shape. So um, uh, what else did I overlap? There's all these like technical terms that, I don't know whether you want me to. Like no, no, no. I'm just like everyone, but, but like, but like the the you, you learn the basics and the yeah, like the nuts and bolts of of um, how to animate, um, how to do a storyboard, how to. Um, I learned how to use an old-fashioned editing machine with um, so you'd edit your film, moving it, you know, moving it through the the reels. Mm -hmm. um, learned how to record sound. You basically learn everything you need to know to make your own animated film, which that was like the the major year's year-end project was you have to submit a film at the end of each year to pass uh -huh. that year's And tuition. those principles are the same now. They're just scaled up to yeah. Simpsons level. Yeah, and, and they've had a lot of, obviously a lot of, years and knowledge layered on so there's they're a lot more finessed now yeah um but i think everybody kind of has a degree of on the job training oh yeah after absolutely. they oh a degree out of my god everything i know about broadcasting i learned on the job right that's it i, I never went to university for it i just I started and i wanted to learn and i, I did it for free and then mm. they got paid little for it and then right. slowly 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 but i didn't go ever go to college to learn how to do this i did it while i was at work yeah. <laughs> you know which is amazing now having had a career diversion in my life where for a long time i was i was going to be a pro musician that's what i was mm. going to go and do i was going to go right. play in bands and stuff like that but the chances of an australian musician actually making enough money to like there's the old joke what's the difference between a musician and a pizza a pizza can feed a family of four <laughs> okay i hadn't heard that before right uh, I don't get out much. Similar, similarly, I would imagine that your chances of being able to be a musician in Australia and put a roof over your head are probably right. higher than your chances of being an animator in Australia. Does, does the college at all prepare you for the realities of the job market? Um, well, definitely uh, higher chance of being successful in a band at the time that I left college, there really was no animation industry in Brisbane at all. So I had no choice but to either go to Sydney or Melbourne, which I did go to Sydney when I first left college um, and uh, found work in a small um, animation studio that 
animated commercials and they did um, like little bits of, of uh, farmed out work, like subcontracted work from US studios and stuff like that. So that was where I really kind of cut my teeth and that was a case of, um, you know, basically I had gone to Sydney um, thinking that I was going to get into the Disney studio because that was the major employer at that time. There was a big uh, Disney, Walt Disney television animation studio and they worked on stuff like um, Gummy Bears and um, the Aladdin-directed video sequels and stuff like that, um, Darkwing Duck. They did Darkwing Duck in Australia and um, I had applied there from Brisbane thinking, oh, yeah, no worries, I'm going to get in a piece of cake. So I went down to Sydney before I actually found out whether or not I had the job and then um, about a week and a half after arriving in Sydney, I got the letter <laughs> saying I didn't get the job. And so then I was like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? What do I do? And I was staying with some very kind uh, cousins who um, were, you know, they were really good to me when I first arrived in Sydney and they sort of sat me down and said, look, okay, so what? You didn't get in. Now you've got you've to start pounding the pavement basically and get out the yellow pages, look in the film studio Pre-internet, folks. Yes, pre-internet. also pre-internet. There was this book. It, was, it had yellow pages and it was called The Yellow Pages. And it was fat. You could use it to kill cockroaches yes. and yes. stuff. It was a big thing. Exactly. It had the phone number of every business in town in there. Uh, so I looked in that and I just started cold calling studios and saying, hi, uh, I've just arrived in Sydney, I've got this degree, I've never, I don't have any like actual experience, but I'll do anything to get my foot in the door. And so these guys had just set up this studio like a couple of weeks beforehand. So it was just like right place, right time that they happened to need somebody. And I started as um, what was called a line tester in those days where you would take the artists drawings on paper and you'd have to shoot them under a video camera frame by frame so that then you could watch it back and see if the animation worked the way that they wanted it to work and so that's what I did um I was the cameraman and um uh and they said after you finish shooting all the stuff each day if you've got time then you can animate you know we'll give you something to animate so that's what they did. So I got to do a little bit of animation here and there. Um, and um, But, yeah, mainly being a line tester was my first job in animation. But then the way I got from there to here is um, should I let you Should I let you talk? No, no. You're, you, Sorry, I tend to just babble on. Mate, no, I'm just I'm really fascinated. Does somebody stop you for a second? What did you... What did you learn at that first workplace? And mm. this is, I'm assuming, this is the first time you're around uh, men and women who are of the common ilk. You're right. people who are getting paid to do this stuff. They're yes. not just people you go to college with. Who some of them might be just be writing a parents' dime. Right. They're right. like, oh no, no, I I pay my way, my yeah, food yeah. and groceries and rent doing this. Right. That must have been what? Were you 20, 21? I was 20. 
23 or 24. So the first, like first time you were around people like this, that must yes. have been quite the eye-opener to oh, possibility. Yeah, oh, yeah, totally. Um, there was one guy there who was just this amazing artist and he actually works over here now. He's at DreamWorks. Um, and he's he was just... He was a layout artist, which is um, layout is the is the stage before the animation. So the layout artist will kind of do the key poses uh, of a character where they're supposed to be in a rough sketch of the background um, to give to the animator, who then says, "Oh, okay, I see what they want. They want the character to start over here on the left side of frame." And then walk over to the right and then sit down in this chair over here on the right side of frame because there's three drawings, uh, you know, depicting those three positions. And then the animator does all the drawings to go through. Um, so he was a layout artist, but he was just this amazing, he'd been working at the Disney studios since he came out of high school. So he's one of those like just almost prodigy kind of guys who had talent at a professional level from when he came out of high school um and he uh <laughs> so i should the head of the studio the guy who ran the studio you know i showed my first bit of animation to him and he said oh why don't you why don't you show it to mark and i don't know he probably said that as a joke because mark was like unrelentingly like honest let's say uh about uh you know people's work and so I showed it to him and he was like mm, yeah it's pretty ugly <laughs> so I guess I don't know it was kind of a wake-up call that first job um was a wake-up call that I had a long way to go um you know I think it was sort of that you're suddenly in the big wide world and you suddenly realize oh my god i'm just starting i still have so much to learn and um come to think of it one of my college tutors said that to me in before i left college you know i've made some comment about oh it's great that i've learned so much about how to animate and they said you'll learn more in your first six months working in the industry than you have in three years here. And I was like, really? But they were totally right. So true. Um, was Now, what was it like? I mean, you're sitting there. You, I should describe this. You are, I'm trying to contain my excitement that you're wearing a big trouble in little China T-shirt. Yeah, baby. Jack Burton is my my guy. I love that movie. <laughs> I, I rewatch it. I rewatch it like every three months. I watch really? it again. Oh, it's just it's such a good movie. Possibly, I think it's John Carpenter's greatest ever. <laughs> it's it's so like a comic book. Yes. The film itself is so comic, yeah. and there's so much exposition. It's almost like a manga film. Right. That the only time Jack Burton's the only one that ever reacts. Everyone else just gives information. Right. Like um, <laughs> whenever Kim, whenever they talk to Kim Petrall, she's like, you mean David Lopan, the underworld, da-da-da, da-da-da-da-da-da-da? <laughs> yeah, totally. And whenever he talks to his friend Wang, um, 
Wang's like, no, you don't understand. The Lord's of Death, this and that and the other. We got this. It's egg- all exposition. Everything, yes. everyone only ever speaks in exposition yeah, except yeah. for Jack Burton. Jack Burton just yeah. does one-liners. It's And it still <laughs> got made. It still got made. And there's an escalator in the final scene. It's just, <laughs> anyway. Uh, what was it like being in a workplace? I'm assuming people are pretty nerdy. What mm. was it like being in a workplace full of people that were like, oh, my my people. <laughs> oh, um, great. Amazing. Because yeah, coming from, I mean, that's one of the things I love about working in animation is everyone you work with is a geek of one stripe or another, you know, I mean, everyone's into sort of different stuff, but yeah, as a kid, I wasn't, I was one of the few people who was into the stuff like you and I and your brother and just a couple of other people that I knew were into, you know, Dungeons and Dragons and comics and science fiction and Doctor Who and all that sort of stuff. So um, not new Doctor Who. We're talking like (laughs) episodes made for 200 bucks. Tom Baker and Peter Davidson. (laughs) Bad, bad special effects. Yes. Took a lot of benefit of the doubt. You had to really give them a lot. Okay. All right. That's a scary monster. All right. Move on. (laughs) Yes, that that garbage bag is a scary monster. <laughs> you had to really give them yes. a lot back then. Yeah, uh, yeah. So coming to first coming to college and finding that, oh wow, there's there's people here who are like me who are interested in doing this as a job, and then actually, yeah, working in a workplace where everybody is like, it's just amazing working in a place where everyone's an artist, you know. That only hit me a few months ago. I was like, wow, everyone I work with can draw and can draw pretty darn well, you know. Um, It's pretty amazing to sort of work in this kind of uh, nexus of creativity. It's, It's cool. I love it. I remember visiting my friend Jeremy. He, uh, when I first ever came to America, I came here to go snowboarding in Utah. And Jeremy was, uh, he made um, Happy Feet 2. He was one oh, of the right. guys that worked on Happy Feet 2 mm-hmm. and Owls of Cahool and, um, oh, what was that other one with the hot chicks with swords? Oh, I can't remember. Anyway, he did a lot of, he's a, and he, but he made PlayStation games before that. I remember oh, going cool. to his office in Utah and it was like, someone had just taken the toy box yeah. and just rattled it out. <laughs> and then it, there was, there was people, someone had a full size alien, uh, a Geiger right. alien next yes. to their desk and everyone yeah. had all these articulated animal, uh, you know, and only when you say it now, it's like, oh, they didn't just have toys around. They had them because they, because, oh, how do arms work? How do joints work? How do, right. how do walk cycles look? How does, right. Yes. Yeah, I think maybe that's like the excuse. Yeah. Like, right. Really? They just like having the toys. <laughs> So at what Having point worked with people like that, I can sort of speak with a little bit of authority that I think they just do it for the, the fact that they like the toys or that it's a cool statue or whatever. Okay. All right. So <laughs> what, uh, at what point did you realize that America might be somewhere that you might want to go? Uh, well, I always wanted to go to America. Um, even as a kid, I was fascinated, always fascinated by American culture um, probably came from uh, reading comic books, you know, like because the um, my dad's American and so he had American sort of uh, memorabilia around the house 
when I was growing up. And so I was always kind of fascinated by, um, yeah, just American TV shows and, um, and even stuff like Twinkies and Oreos and stuff. Cause at that time, I know that now you can get Oreos in Australia, but you couldn't when we were growing up. And so I was always like, what do those taste like? Cause you'd see, the ads in the backs of comic books oh. for Hostess fruit pies and I Hostess remember. Twinkies. Like, what are these things? Yes, exactly. I remember seeing ads in the back of comic books for what it was Sea Monkeys was one, and yep. the Nintendo Entertainment System. Right, was the other one. I was like, what is yes. this magical box? Yes. How yeah. do I? Where are? And Maya didn't have them. David Jones didn't right. have them. It just wasn't happening. No, you couldn't get them. Couldn't get them in Australia at that point. So. Uh, yeah, I always just wanted to come over here and um, and at least to visit. And then when I got the chance to actually work over here, I jumped at it because the guy who ran that studio I worked for in Sydney, he was American. And at that time, that was when the sort of hiring boom of feature animation happened it was right after lion king and so dreamworks was just created and all the other feature film studios were setting up a feature animation division so fox studios warner brothers um they all set up their own feature animation divisions and so it was this incredible demand for talent and there just wasn't the supply in the US. And so they were looking everywhere around the world for, you know, it was almost anyone who could hold a pencil. Um, and so they had called my boss who had worked over here in LA on feature films and they were calling him saying, are you sure you don't want to come back? What could we, you know, how could we tempt you to come back? And so they basically made him an offer that I guess was too good to refuse. And so he said one day, you know, crew meeting guys uh, just had this offer to go back to L.A. So I'm going to close the studio. But if any of you have ever wanted to work in the States, now is the time to do it. Get your portfolio together and I will actually put in a good word for you with as many of my contacts as I can and hopefully we can all come over and so oh, that, good guy yeah so then so that's why I was like well what have I got to lose so got my portfolio together and it was really like terrible because I'd only been working in the industry for like eight months so I still had mainly student work and a tiny little bit of life drawing you know figure drawing um, which I had started doing in Sydney when I moved there. Um, so it was really due to his putting in a good word. But you also had the passport. And I also had a passport because I'm a dual citizen, uh, re registered as a US citizen when I was born because um, my dad's American and a long story, but they didn't know whether they were going to live in the States or live in Australia or what when I was because my mum's Australian my dad's American so um so yeah I have I already had a social security number so that made it much easier to get the job because they were like oh great we don't have to organize a green card or a visa or anything all right yeah come on over 
we'll pay for your plane ticket and that's it. How were your folks about you deciding you wanted to be this? Were they? Uh, you mean like just in terms yeah. of like- the I'm going to go draw part. things for a living, mum and dad. Um, they were very supportive. Um, you know, I think my grandmother was a bit worried. She would always tell me, oh, you know, you should be a sign painter. You know, like uh, one of those guys who paints the um, shop windows, yeah. like when it's like Christmas yeah. time or whatever, because that's the only, she had never, she didn't really know that drawing cartoons was a job. And so she was just sort of worried for my kind of welfare and yeah. sort of wanted me to go with a more um, slightly proven career path because she had known someone who was, a sign painter. So I think yeah. in her mind, she was able to relate it to that. But yeah, yeah my mum and dad were really supportive. They were never like, no, you're going to be a doctor or a lawyer. No, they always were like, no, you got to follow your own path. And if that's what you want to do, then just make sure you do it really well, do it well enough that someone would be willing to pay you to do it. So that's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, no, it was great. Not many people get that. No. Well, my dad was, I think, one of the type of, like he got heavy pressure to be an engineer because his father and his grandfather were both engineers. So I think he was sort of like, well, I'm not, you know, I got that pressure, so I'm not going to put that on on you. You right. do what you want to do. So, yeah. What was the job that you came over here for? I started as an in-betweener on a film called Cats Don't Dance. It was an animated feature film made by Turner Feature Animation. They've since closed. Uh, they got absorbed into Warner Brothers Feature Animation after that movie was completed. Um, and an in-betweener is like your basic entry-level position. And what that is is you're doing, you know, um, in, a, in a movement, in an animated film, you've got the drawing that starts the movement and you've got the drawing that ends the movement. They're known as keys or extremes. And then to make that movement go fast or slowly, if you want it fast, you put a few drawings in between. If you want it slow, you put a lot of drawings in between because a lot of drawings is going to take up more time on screen, right? So the in-betweener does all those in-between drawings. That's hence the name. So that's what I started doing and then um sort of worked my way up through like there's a number of different kind of levels of mm -hmm. cleanup cleanup is is taking the animators rough drawings and doing a nice clean line uh the cleanup drawings are actually what you see on screen you're not seeing the animators drawings you're seeing the cleanup person's version of the animators drawings um so that's where I started. And then I worked on a couple of feature films, um, worked on Cats Don't Dance, Quest for Camelot for Warner Brothers, then Iron Giant for Warner Brothers, and then Prince of Egypt for DreamWorks. And, um, and then I sort of, after, War after Warner Brothers put Iron Giant out and they didn't really get behind it in terms of marketing. And I kind of saw sort of started to see the writing on the wall that if they're not going to get behind a film like Iron Giant, which I'm really proud to have been a part of in some small way, um, 
I still think it's an amazing film and um, I, I think it's only now starting to get some of the accolades that it really deserved back then because, you know, Brad Bird has now become a big live action director and... Mr. Um, Pixar. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, I kind of thought, uh, I don't know how much longer Warner Brothers is going to be around Um and so that's when I decided I wanted to try something different and try and get into TV animation. And I knew a guy who was working on The Simpsons in character layout. And so I asked him, um, you know, through friends of friends, yeah. kind of meet people who are working at different studios. And so I um, asked him, how do you get on The Simpsons? Like, do they hire people or what would I do? And what do I need in my portfolio? And he said, oh, they have a test. They have a layout test that you can do. Huh. And so I said, okay, well, I, I'll ask for a copy of the test. So I submitted my portfolio, got a test, and then did the test, and I showed him my test, and he sort of said. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Uh... Yeah, let me show you how to draw Homer a bit better. And so he would give me drawing lessons and he was very careful not to actually do any of the test material for me. He would just sort of in general say, well, you construct Homer with, you know, use a ball for, the, for his belly and then you do like this up, upside down cup shape sitting on top of the ball for his chest and then you do like a thumb shape for his head. And so it was just this way of breaking it down into the basic shapes that really helped me get the test to a level where he thought, like, I did it like three or four times and I showed him each time and he would make, you know, smaller and smaller comments of like, okay, well, it's looking pretty good. You might want to just do this and tweak the eyes here. So, um, yeah, I, I got in they liked the test and I got in as a character layout artist in 1999. So now I've been on the Simpsons for almost 15 years. Wow. Yeah. It's do crazy. You, do you remember? I remember the first Simpsons episode I ever saw. Do you remember? Um, first one I ever remember seeing, cause that's what's so bizarre is Simpsons started when I was in my first year of animation at college so and I remember seeing the one where they go camping and 
Homer like loses his clothes and then he has to fashion like these underpants out of like twigs and leaves and he becomes like this Bigfoot kind of character and they try to trap this rabbit with this snare, this rope snare, and it flings the rabbit way up and off into the distance. (laughs) So that's the first scene that I remember from any (laughs) Simpsons episode was that rabbit going up and, you know. Just over the trees. Yes, and then coming down in the very background, really small. I just thought that was such a great gag. Um, But I remember, like, talking and laughing about Simpsons episodes with people at college than on the Monday morning because it was played on Sunday nights back then. So, and still is over here anyway. Um, so, yeah, yeah, it's so bizarre to now be working on the show that I've loved because I was a huge fan. Like I would record the episodes and just watch them. This is, again, blast from the past on video cassette and watch them until the tape like just wore out and just became static. Yeah. You know, you played it so much that no tracking knob's going to yes, fix that. Exactly. Mate. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, so yeah, it's just bizarre to think that now I'm working on, on the show that I've always been such a huge fan of. And over 15 years, mm. huge things have happened in animation. Yeah. Uh, let's start from a cultural standpoint. First, let's start. What are the, how much of the process now technically resembles the process you started with? Because I'd imagine there was no Wacom's or Cintiq tablets back then. No. Well, at least the way we do it on The Simpsons is is it's somewhat along the same lines of what we've always done. Um, Simpsons uh, over here at uh, Film Roman, which is a company that does the US side of the animation, we do all the designs, the storyboards, and then we do layout, which is the background layouts and also character layout. Now on The Simpsons, character layout is a little more like just doing the key animation. It's really quite posed out because um, the writers and producers want to see a rough version of the show um, before it gets sent to Korea just to make sure that the jokes are playing and there's not any sort of, you know, dead spots in in the, the energy of the show. Um, and uh, so when I first started, we were doing it all on paper and that, you know, everyone was animating their scenes on paper it would get um, filmed under a camera by the line testers and then that would be edited together into a basically a black and white rough version of the episode that you would eventually see. That would get shown to the writers. They would do a rewrite and then we would go back in and change whatever they wanted changed and then have a whole new bunch of scenes that would then get sent to Korea. And so that rough animation gets sent to Korea to be cleaned up and colored. Mm-hmm. Um, that used to be put on cells. Now it's colored in computer. Um, and now we don't even use paper. Uh, I believe Korea, the Korean studios still 
do use paper, but they're sort of heading towards an all digital production as well. We are now all digital. The, there is no paper involved in the US side of making a Simpsons episode. So the Korean side of things is the in-betweening and all the stuff you described right. earlier. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. In-betweening, cleanup, um, and coloring the right. computer, uh, coloring the, the uh have you been over there? Have you seen those studios? No, I haven't. Some a few people have. A few people have gone over. Um I get the impression that it's somewhat like our studio. They're just working on a different phase of uh-huh. the the production. Um, but similar number of people involved. Um but yeah, I mean, I'm just talking second and third hand that I've heard. Right. Of, so so that's the so that's the techn- technology side of things. Mm-hmm. But what about the cultural side of things? When Simpsons started, there was no South Park, there was no Family Guy, right? And we've all seen, and it's been that documentary is amazing about how South Park is zero to episode in six days. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. It's pretty. <laughs> that's amazing. Pretty amazing. I'm right. Real. I mean, that's nuts. And so, how have those two shows come in? Because at the time when when Simpsons showed up, there was no prime time. Right. Uh, and there hadn't been since the Flintstones, right. which had been 20 years prior to right. that. So how have South Park and Family Guy, particularly Family Guy, because that's happened while you've been there, yeah. how have those two things impacted how The Simpsons is made and, and the tone of The Simpsons? I don't, think, I don't think they've impacted how it's made or the tone. Um, I don't think The Simpsons really worries too much about, like, how other people are doing it. They... Um, it's also that we've been doing it this way for so long that, um, and you know, the proof is kind of in the pudding. It's been successful for 25 years. So I I don't think there's been a real need to drastically change the way they're doing it. I've heard that, um, you know, Family Guy's production is somewhat similar to, hours in terms of just the production pipeline they don't do layout they um they take it up to storyboards and then the storyboards are sent to Korea and it's all taken from there um south park i can't speak on with any kind of authority because i don't even know anyone on south park but um but a lot of ex simpsons people have gone on to work on family guy um so I've heard bits and pieces of yeah. of how they arrange their production and how we arrange our production, and you can compare them. But um, they seem pretty similar. Um, you know, I think um, yeah, I think culturally, The Simpsons kind of opened the door for all the shows that that came after that. And I think also like just The Simpsons brand of of humor. Back then, like if you think of what other shows were on at the time, you know, you still had the Cosby show being like the standard of sitcoms in on in the TV landscape, you know. Seinfeld was only just starting. Yes, yeah. yes. So there wasn't even, you know, that the whole thing with like, um, you know, cutting away to to a joke or just these little non sequitur kind of gags or the sign gags that we have 
in the backgrounds of of shots and stuff like that. I don't think there wasn't really anything like that being done. Maybe in Zucker Brothers movies, but that was about right. It. Yeah, that's what I was thinking because I watched Airplane. Oh, so good. The other day, like a couple of weeks ago, so and I was good. like, actually, this style of humor is kind of like what the simpsons does yeah. so yeah it was it was interesting so i think you're right but, but other than that there wasn't really much on tv that was like that so there was one just the other night uh they did the gag uh who was i'm just trying to remember what was happening in no 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 i got confused it was family guy sorry oh thanks <laughs> <laughs> i'm sorry it was, uh, I was tired. It was last night. We're all one big happy family at Fox. Oh, at Fox, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So how does it, as a director on The Simpsons, yeah. that, when was the first, like, how does it work? I mean, you've got, it's obviously, this is not six days to an episode. It's, it's, oh, no. how long is it? Weeks? Oh, longer. It's, um, let me think. Um, okay. Well, to give you an example, we have just gone into production on the Halloween episode for 2015. Jeez. So there's that much of a lead time, you know, because I'm not sure on the writer's side how much time they get to sort of work on the script and how many drafts they really go through before it gets to us. Mm -hmm. um, but we get the script and uh, the recording of the voices. We do a storyboard in four weeks. We, do, we then um, send the storyboard over to them. They make notes. We incorporate the notes. The director will take it from there and um, make sure the writer's notes are put in. And then they work on an animatic, which we do in a week after that um, which is like a rough sketch very rough like sketch. a flip book version yeah yeah like no no um in-betweens it's just like poses kind of popping from one place on screen to another um but enough to give you an idea of like what the joke is and what the story is so you can get a sense of like oh yeah i'm i'm sort of watching a proto version of mm -hmm. a Simpsons episode. And um, we then show the writers again. They watch it with the whole room of writers. Um, you know, I'm not sure exactly how many writers there are, but there's at least 12, uh, 12 or 15 guys uh, and ladies. Um, well, we watch it all together. Um, they kind of gauge at that screening, um, is the room laughing? Is it, is, is it playing? Is there any stuff that is kind of confusing? Um, and so then they'll make notes to us and they'll do another rewrite, another draft of the script um, at that stage, which is what we then go into full production on. Right. So then the director will take that, take their notes, take the rewrite, and make sure all that gets incorporated into the actual animation and scene by scene. Now the director is going through and saying, well, no, I want this 
you know, I want Homer's head to go back more when he laughs and his eyes should be wide open, not with like a sad expression, you know. They have a team of uh, I think about six layout artists and two background artists on each show and one animation timer um, and then a couple of other animation timers will come on towards the end for the final kind of push towards the deadline to get it all out. Um, and, yeah, every scene is is sort of it's enormous animated. Amount. It's basically. an enormous amount of work and it looks like it goes yeah. very slowly. And we have, uh, I think, um, seven or eight weeks to do that stage and then it gets sent to Korea. And I've, I've, I think Korea then has another eight weeks to do their side of it, make it look like the episode that you see, except for, um, you know, music that I haven't put the music on yet. Each, each episode gets scored separately. Wow. Individually. Um, and, uh, you know, editing stuff like that. Um, so the episode comes back from Korea in color. It's screened again for the people at Fox and the writers. And, um, they then make small, tweaks and small notes because they don't want to make big changes once it's in colour because then it's much more expensive because it's got to go through the whole process. That's yeah. why we have so many sort of early yeah. showings of the show so they can really make their bigger changes earlier yeah. and we can make the bigger changes earlier yeah, as yeah. well. We can refine it. Uh, to a degree where we think, okay, this is as good as it's possibly going to look. So, um, yeah, then it comes back in colour and all the little final tweaks and stuff are made and I think they have two weeks or three weeks maybe to make those final little tweaks. Now, at this part, I'm a bit fuzzy on the actual timing of it, but I think it's... Suffice to say, it's a long time. Yeah, it takes a while. Sorry to <laughs> no, 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 no. It's totally folks. fine. I'm just, I'm just getting like for 21 minutes mm-hmm. of television. Uh, but it just kind of gives, but it does give you an idea when you, as someone who's in television, someone who makes television, yeah, gives you an idea about the amount of return that you get for every episode financially. Right. That it makes sense to spend this much money and time on creating episode gives you a clue, a tiny right. clue of right. the the kind of money this show brings in. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And yeah. that's the absolute. That's there's no, no no coming back from that. Like that's how that's how much money this show's making. If you can afford to do right. a production process is that big, then right. this show's making some cash. Yeah. Because if the show's not making that much cash, if it's on an Adult Swim at three in the morning, right, it's going to be done in flash. Well, it's, that's you know, true. It's going to be ten yeah, people. No, that's on it. true. That's true. It's still that is one of the reasons I think why we still are able to do the layouts over here um, because the show has been successful yeah enough. and amazingly amazingly so what were you what was your reaction when they said oh matt would like you to uh direct an episode uh i was incredibly happy because uh, i'd always wanted to be a director of something even back in high school you know um so i sort of um yeah i kind of asked when i was an assistant director um I had asked the producer, you know, I'm not, I don't want to, I'm just lobbying in the least 
uh, overt way here, but uh, if there is an opening for like a show to direct at any point in the future, I just want to ask that my my name be considered. And she said, oh, no, don't worry. You, you're definitely on the list of potential wow. uh, assistant directors who would be considered to be promoted to director. Um, and so, yeah, I just, it was just uh, kind of lucky that I got my break. Um, one of the directors uh, left and went to Disney to work on Wreck-It Ralph and um, they needed someone to direct the show that he was slated to direct. And so they said, do you want to direct an episode? And I said, yes, I do. And they said, okay, you start on Thursday. <laughs> I was like, okay, all right, I better get up to speed with the storyboard and stuff because at that point the, the storyboard had already been done and stuff. So. Yeah. But, yeah, it was. And have you gone on to do that six times now? Uh, yeah, I've, I've directed, I co-directed two. Um, that was very, you know, the co-directing ones were very nice and um, graciously, uh, those credits were very graciously given to me by the directors of those episodes um, just in sort of consideration of the amount of work that I had done on those. Um, certain things happen, happen in the course of some productions where the director um, has this focus split and so the AD in this case, me had to shoulder a bit more of the mm -hmm. responsibility that than a normal would be normal in the case of an assistant director. So, I got co-directing credits on two, and then yeah, I've directed four other episodes awesome. after that. So yeah, it was amazing. It's a, it's a show that it's a show that has for years not only bitten the hand that feeds it, but sometimes chewed all the way up to the elbow. What's, right. Do you get that vibe in the office that there's a bit of a we're a bit rebellious here at Fox? Um, I don't know. Um, I don't think there's, you know, because I think, you know, to be completely frank, because The Simpsons is so successful now, I think that um, a lot of people smell money and want to like launch lawsuits at the Simpsons sometimes. So I think that they're a bit more careful now um, in what they say or who they, you know, what they say about certain people. Um, but, yeah, I mean, there's still stuff in, in some of the scripts where I'm like, oh, my God, like kind of can't believe they're, they're doing this, but... Um, you know, it's it's fine. I like I like working on the show. I enjoy being an early sort of audience for these scripts. Like just getting a Simpsons script is is great because you you read it and you sort of are already imagining like oh this is going to be great. You know, you're imagining how it's going to look and how it's going to sound and um, yeah, so it's cool. But I don't think there's um, you know, there's not a, a a real feeling of yeah, let's let's stick it to so and so and let's get them, let's show the world how. But even just for the know. just for the <laughs> I don't think there's just that. for the network itself. I mean, two things come to mind. There's one where in the couch gag, Homer rips the 
the fox bug off the corner oh. of the screen, oh, yeah. puts it on the living room floor and stamps on it like it's a bug. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then there's oh. there's one where uh, they're at the football and Rupert Murdoch himself comes down in a helicopter right. and kicks him out of the skybox. Right. Well, I think I think Rupert Murdoch's a pretty good sport about, you know, all that because he's now they've done quite a lot of like Rupert Murdoch jokes on the show and I think, you know, he's obviously a pretty good sport uh, about about that sort of stuff. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I don't think they're, I don't, I think they are more willing to make fun of Fox than they are to make fun of some other entity that they're not a part of. Right. Um, because I think they probably know, oh, it'll be, it'll be fine. Cause we're Fox and yeah. you know, they're also Fox. So something can be worked out. Whereas yeah. if it's a different company altogether, then it's like, oh, okay, we need to have the lawyers, their lawyers talk to our lawyers and that sort of thing. So fair, like fair enough though. But you know, when you're that show, a show of that size, right. you've got to and understandably, I, yeah. Like and having you know, I've sat in um, S and P standards and practices meetings um, when I did that show at CBS, mm-hmm. and I've had those guys just go, okay, so we're live, mm. all right, so. Here is the the fold out uh, the folder the memo of what you can't say. Right. Oh wow! <laughs> you know, and, and here's what you can't talk about. Like well, it's I a three say, hour briefing. I will say that um, the writers don't have that kind of preemptive stuff put on them. They they write what they want to write. Yeah. So their their scripts are very much like. This is, this is the joke, and yeah. this is what we want to see. And you know, sometimes after the fact, the Fox standards and practices, or whoever it is, might say, uh, "Hold on, you might not want to do that, or you might not want to say that exact yeah. thing." And so then, um, a conversation has to, I guess, be had, but. I'm, you know, again, like, I'm not privy to what goes yeah. on on the writer's side. I'm just more on the animation side. Yeah. So I'm really just talking from my perspective of what I hear through various scuttlebutt, yeah. the studio kind you of You mentioned channels. before that you get the audio tracks already. Does that mean you don't direct the voice talent? Don't direct the voice talent, no. Um, the showrunner, Al Jean, or the, and usually maybe the writer or... Um, James L. Brooks sometimes will direct the voice talent. Like I directed the Lady Gaga episode and so I really wanted to meet Lady Gaga, you know, because I thought, well, when am I going to get the chance to do that? So I asked at the studio, is there any chance, like when I found out I was going to get that one to direct, I asked, like, is there any chance I could go to the record when she records? And they were like, oh, we'll see. And so they made some phone calls and so I was able to go. And um, James L. Brooks was actually at that record and he was directing with Al Jean, um, directing Lady Gaga and Yardley Smith as well. They were in the booth together because Lisa and Lady Gaga had a lot of lines and a lot of scenes together. And it was really fascinating to see like James L Brooks is he's a like 
a live action director directed as good as it gets and a bunch of other like movie he's a director director kind of thing so it was fascinating to see his process of how he got what he wanted and and what he told them you know and as very sort of gentle kind of like okay just a little bit more like this and think of it like you know it was just fascinating to watch him but yeah I was just in the booth like watching um him like he was actually in the room um in the recording part and I'm in the engineer kind of part um and uh Yardley Smith she was like on point like every time 565 episodes she's gonna know how to do it well that's the thing i had never seen a record session before and so it was fascinating to watch like the subtle variations in tone of voice that she would do um when james l brooks said no i just want it like a little bit more sympathetic and then yardley would do it and it was more sympathetic and I was just like blown away watching her going oh my god she did it again she did it again and then he would ask her to do it again but differently and I was like I was thinking like but she did it so good that last time but I mean that's that's why she does what she does do they have a a specific studio that's only job is Simpsons records or uh, I'm not sure, but I would suspect that maybe that's the case. Right. But that, that all happens on the Fox lot and the oh. animation is not done on the Fox Got lot. It. The animation is done in Burbank. So right. that's why I travel over to the Fox lot when we have to have a meeting or whatever. Yeah, we talk about travel as, as if it's a, a, an epic journey because in Los Angeles, if you're, going from, if you're going from Burbank to the Fox lot, it means you've got to come over the Sepulveda Pass or somehow yes. over that hill the Hollywood sign's on. And boy, let me tell you, a, <laughs> yes. if there was a tunnel, it would be easy. Right. Why it's isn't there straight, not a tunnel? A Why is there not tunnel. a tunnel? Why is there not a tunnel? Earthquakes? I don't know. Okay, that's a good point. Earthquake hazard? That's maybe. a really good point. Matthew, I appreciate you bringing that up. <laughs> Zipline? Hey, there you go. Tube. Yeah, I mean something. Something. Just a straight line. It's got to be a better be way. Of, it's got to be a better way of doing it. Yeah, well, it takes a while. <laughs> it's a bit of a drive. 110 to the 405, tunnel straight to where the 5 and the 210 meet. I mean, boom. <laughs> where you can come in from the north, yes. you go under LA. And pop yep. straight out to San Diego. Anyway, more about uh, infrastructure later. Um, the traffic report. Yeah. We were just joking beforehand that you, whenever you go from anywhere to anywhere else in LA, you generally do have that Californian yes. sketch conversation. Yeah, you've got to have that discussion. Yeah. Of like, oh, how did you get here and how was the traffic? Yeah, yeah. I took the 405 to the 210. It's a fact of life in LA. I took the 90. I didn't do I didn't. I didn't take Washington's. I took the 90 through, the, <laughs> through Marina Del Rey. That's a good way to get here. The 90, the 90's a secret to living out here. Oh, is it? Maybe I'll take that one. Yeah, Washington to the 90. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe unless it goes somewhere completely different. No, through Marina Del Rey, down uh, past, uh, uh, then hop over Lincoln, then 90, 405, mm. uh, rather than Venice, because then you've got to go through all they're building the expo right. line. Oh. Which is okay. going to be great, but... They're building a tramway over Venice and Washington at the moment, so there's a lot of traffic nastiness oh going on there. Anyway, uh, <laughs> you, you've you've made a great home for yourself here in North America. You've, yeah. You're married. You have children. Yeah. How in all of this 
I don't understand how it seems like you would get up in the morning, animate, 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 and go to sleep. Like, that's it. How do you even meet somebody? Um, I met her at work. Right on. (laughs) So, yes, you are uh, (laughs) correct. It is get up in the morning, go to work, animate, 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 and then go back home. Especially in when we met, when we were working on features, they would have this massive crunch time when everybody's doing all this overtime. And so you really don't get a chance to go out anywhere and do anything because you are arriving at eight o'clock or nine o'clock in the morning and then maybe working until nine o'clock or 9.30 at night and then just going home and going to sleep and then coming back in the next day and doing it again. And then you're also working on the weekends, doing full days, maybe both days on the weekends for, um, you know, a couple of months to, so it's very tiring and it sort of dominated your life. I don't work those kind of hours anymore, but. Um, Geez, you have to love it. Well, yeah, it's easy when you're young and you're, and you're hungry, you know, you're in a career sense, I mean, um, that you're willing to, you just love doing it so much. And, you know, it's, I think a, people get into animation because they love it and it's their, and it is their dream job. I know it's mine, like it's what I've always wanted to do. So um, you do put more of yourself into it when you first get in, I think, um, you know, before you realise that uh, I want a life outside of my work. So anyway, so, yeah, we we met at work. We were sitting um, in adjacent cubicles and when she, you know, I was there first and she started at Warner Brothers and got sat in the cubicle beside mine and I saw she was putting up like, you know, when she's decorating her, the walls of her cubicle, she put up like comic book posters and stuff. And so I was like, hmm, a girl who likes comics. Hmm, I like comics. Hmm. So, <laughs> you know, uh, so, yeah, I started to kind of explore <laughs> whether she was, you know. Marvel or DC. A, no, no, whether she had a boyfriend. Right. And, uh yeah, anyway, so we ended up going out and then we've been married now for, it's 2014, so, yeah, 13 years now. Nice, so. man. Oh, good for you. You've got kids out here. Yep, That's great. Two kids later. So good. How does how does art stay, like you, you're saying that you're, uh, you're the story, supervising storyboard director? Yeah. Okay, so it's a, it's a fairly head honcho job, but I'm guessing it's a, there's not a lot, of, is there a lot of pen to paper? Yeah, job? well, actually, um, I mean, as oh, you pentacintic. said, yes, yes, as you said, um, it's a, it's now a supervisory position. So I am, um, like, looking at the work of the storyboard artists and kind of adjusting things that are already there. I'm not drawing a lot of stuff f- from nothing, you know, from a blank screen. Yeah, I was going to say blank page, but yeah, we've got to be dig- we've got to we've got to be up to date with our terms. Yeah, um, but yeah, there's still creativity, and I do put in like what I'll do is add poses to the board. 
Um, because what we do now, we used to present the storyboards on paper as a PDF that you would just flip through. Now we've got this software that we can actually play the storyboards as a quick time. And so they have to be sort of sunk up to, sound, to the soundtrack. And so what I'll do is I'll tweak the timing to make the you know, jokes play a little bit snappier. And if things need extra poses, I'll rough out the poses and I have a cleanup artist who I send stuff, you know, to and she will then clean up my rough poses. Mm. Um, so, yeah, there's still some creativity in there. It's kind of, I mean, that's sort of the same thing that I would do when I was directing um, because you're overseeing the work of a whole team of people. So you don't really get time to just sit down and I'm just going to animate the hell out of this, this one scene. Yeah. This is going to be the best scene that has ever been, you know, on the, on a Simpsons episode. I would usually maybe take one scene and do, and say, I'm going to do this one because it's either got a very specific acting read and I know exactly how I want the character to act or it's this is a really technical scene with a lot of like moving parts and I know exactly how it's all going to come together and it would be too much work to explain to somebody else first you do this then you do this then you do this so just easier if I did it myself so I was kind of doing the same thing when I directed my episodes was right. seeing other people's work and and making notes on it and saying um when he does goes into this pose more like this and I'd do a sketch okay sort of that sort so of but what about like is there still art in your in your day-to-day life though that isn't because that sounds very much like work stuff and you, you're drawing characters that mm. aren't from your brain Oh, right. So you mean my own stuff? Yeah, yeah. Oh, no. Well, yeah. Um, I, I sort of find myself kind of creatively drained at the end of the day, like because I put everything I've got into my job. I don't really hold back any ideas or, you know, creative juice. So when I get home... Um, I, I don't know. And it's all, it could also just be having two kids. You know, when I get home, I do the, the bedtime routine. I read the kids their story and all that sort of stuff um, before they go to bed. So um, by the time that's all done, um, I kind of feel like just watching TV for a couple of hours and going to sleep. Fair enough. Um, so I don't do, you know, I've got all these ideas in my head of like, oh, like, got this idea for a comic and I've got this other idea for an animated show and yeah, I should work on that when I get a chance. But I always just am like, uh, I'll do it some other time. Cause I just want to, I just want to relax when I get home and it has become work for yeah. me. That's the, that's the interesting thing about, about working in a field that you loved to do before you got paid for it, once you start getting paid for it and you have like deadline pressure and all that sort of thing that is part of a job in animation, then it become, you know, something switches over in your mind or at least in my mind so that 
it's that's now my work and so it's not so relaxing for me um to do although i did um there's this thing online called inktober that a lot of people a lot of artists do where during the month of october every day you're supposed to do a pen and ink drawing and you either put it up on instagram or you put it up on twitter or whatever with the hashtag inktober and um so i took part in that i didn't get through the entire month of october because again like life kind of got in the way and then it was so you know it was so late by the time i would have had a chance to start drawing i was like eh i'll do one tomorrow and then it just sort of drifted away yeah um but that was pretty fun like that was the first time i'd drawn stuff of my own in a long time and it was actually nice to be like oh yeah yeah drawing with ink i don't draw with ink anymore i draw on a you know it was ink on paper yeah and i used to do that all the time when i was a teenager and in my 20s because that's you know that again was getting back to drawing comics yeah. and stuff so um yeah it was it was really interesting to get into that headspace it's very meditative kind of um mental exercise working with ink because you can't go fast but you also can't go too slow or you get a big ink blot on your paper so it's sort of you you're sort of walking that middle path of you just sort of and you have to concentrate otherwise to make the line go where you want it and to make the line the shape that you want it because ink is you can't erase yeah. like it's a very unforgiving medium so once you've put it down you just have to let it go you know and just be be okay with okay well that is what that line's going to look like yeah. So it was cool. It was fun. Have you considered, uh, because you've obviously got a lot of great ideas. You've obviously got a lot of creativity floating around out there mm. and you've obviously got a shitload of skills that mm. come with having been in this production pipeline for so long that you might be able to apply. Have you considered like doing the, what they do at Google with the, the 20%, just take 20% of the time and just make whatever you want with it. Go and, go and do that. Go and take. So, um, you know, use this time to do your own thing. Because we understand that by doing that 20% of your time makes the 80% that we pay you for much more valuable because ideas and things that you've learned over there bounce back into it over here. So I'm looking at you at the moment like a dog who doesn't quite understand, like, you know, I'm not quite understanding like, so you mean 20% of the time you spend at work yes. is working on your own thing? Exactly. Oh no, I would never I don't like Well maybe just not twenty percent of your time my at work. Mental... Twenty percent of your time in your life. Like okay. just just put time like you've you've taken time out of your week to come and do this, which I'm enormously right. grateful for because right. I do live a world away from where you are <laughs> in Los Angeles <laughs> yeah, terms. Yeah. No and worries. you are taking time out of your, your day to come and do this. Yeah. Uh, I would hope that our conversation in some way reflects back upon the work that you do and mm. and I certainly know that when I do these conversations when I do this particular project this podcasting project it makes me so much better at the other thing that I don't get paid for this right um and it costs me money to do right but it makes me so much better at what I get paid for I yes. love to do it and I, I can't wait saying. to do it yeah um well I wouldn't do that 
while I was at work. Of course not. Because I feel like you've described the deadlines then, in yeah, detail. I mean, I've got it. Yeah, it's a it's a really yeah. stressful kind of deadline. We have yeah. to get a new storyboard out every two weeks. Jeez. So I am just when I'm at work, I have to be like on and I'm always yeah doing the job. So I couldn't take 20% of that time to just do something else. To, to put a timer on your phone, get your ink and your paper, do five minutes every day. Yeah, no, I see what you mean. And I do know that like some of the artists do start the day with like a warm-up sketch where they'll just draw something that is just coming straight out of their brain and it's not The Simpsons. It's basically just doodling, whatever. Um, yeah, I don't... Um, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I guess I would, I just have this work ethic yeah. that when I'm at work, I'm there to work. Got it. So well, maybe I like, would do it at home, yeah. but I wouldn't do it when I was at no, okay. studio. Well, that's well, just my kind of thing. I, I'm just I'm just thinking like I, I know that because I told you I've been doing this work in Amsterdam yeah. and they're very much about 40-40-20. 40% is the time that you are doing and doing the bread and butter. This is current business. This is what we're working on now. Right. 40% is next five years right. um, where this is the projects that are going to – they're not kicking off right now but we're laying pipe for what's mm. going to be there and 20% is just – you know, flights of fancy. I've always wanted to do this one day. Well, today's today. Right. So, but take 20% of your time to do that. And each one feeds the other. Hmm. And it's a 40, 40, 20 thing. And I've found it to be very, very helpful for, and so this is my second 40. I see. This work here is right. my, my second 40. I see. And um, my photography and stuff is the 20. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's definitely something that I should probably... Uh... I just want you to be Brad Bird, Matthew. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to be Brad Bird as well. I want you to, you know, I want, I want you to, you know, be there when, when it comes time for, you know, when all television is, is on demand and right. networks are over. Right. And it's now an open playing field and you yeah, can yeah. Just, you know what, I've always wanted to create this thing and mm. you create this thing. Yeah, well, I mean, hopefully that will uh happen at some point in the future at the moment i'm i love doing what i'm doing you know yeah. i love working on the simpsons clearly you do so uh and i kind of want the simpsons to continue for as long as it can yeah um so i'll stay on the simpsons for as long as they'll have me but uh whenever that time comes when i need to do something else then yeah i hope that there will be some chance for me to um maybe pitch my own show or whatever um, yeah but uh at the moment yeah i, I don't know <laughs> i don't know i probably should be working on stuff uh in the background but uh it's just a very like when you got those deadlines and you have air dates, it's like and two kids that need bedtime stories, right? Yeah, yeah, I mean maybe once my kids get a bit older, yeah, because um, they're little at the moment. So maybe once they get into their teenage years and they're more like, you know, we're going to do our own thing, Dad. You you don't have to yeah. read us a bedtime story every night or whatever. Yeah. Um. Then maybe that'll be like, oh, okay, I've got I've got an hour or half an hour to do something that I do with something that I didn't have uh, yeah. time for before. So so what would you say to people listening to this who, who are doodling, who are making art? 
Um, do you think? Uh, keep going. I think um, we're in a, you know, the, the internet now gives you so much more of a platform for not only visibility but also it enables you to put your own thing out there and and have it find some sort of an audience um so i think you know just do your thing and and um and see where it takes you like i think there's a real power in in just doing it you know in um taking the bull by the horns and and going for what you dream of doing uh, you know that's kind of what i did back in the day i had a quote from henry david thoreau on my bedroom wall that said if one advances confidently in the direction of his dreams and endeavors to live the life that he has imagined he will meet with a success unexpected in common hours and so i kind of that was my mantra and i'm just like okay i'm just going to do it i'm just going to go for go in the direction of my dreams and see what happens and you got nothing to lose it's i think you everybody should try and and follow their bliss as joseph campbell says you know so um i don't know i don't know anything <laughs> Oh, man, you're just you're just dropping bombs of wisdom right here and, and trying to get out of it. Something you've been here nearly 20 years, but there's still a bit of Australia about you. Like, oh, I, don't, I don't know anything. Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't want to put myself up as this. Come on, you're or whatever. A, come on, you're a kid from Brisbane that now directs The Simpsons. Are right. you kidding me? Yes, it's true. It's yeah. a big deal, I guess. <laughs> and you turn up in an Indiana Jones hat. Well, this it's actually an Akubra. Akubra. So it is. Yeah. But it's got a, it's definitely got an Indiana Jones quality about it. Well, that's what everybody says. But I, I just wear it. It's slip, slop, slap. Just yeah, right. keep the sun off. Yeah. I'm very fair skinned. I don't want to get sunburned. That's all. Here in Southern California, that's going to happen too. Yeah, exactly. We live in a desert. So it's um, not an affectation, I promise you. I'm just, I wear it for practical purposes. <laughs> just get a whip. Just get a whip, mate. <laughs> just have a whip. Is that open carry around whips? <laughs> I don't know. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. You can't carry a knife around. Right. Can you carry a whip? A whip. Just in case I need to swing across any crevasses. I don't know. You might be able to. You know? Or, uh, you know, round up any cattle that might be stray. Just try it and see. <laughs> see what happens. No, thank you. I'm not going to test the LAPD. Advance confidently <laughs> in the direction of your dreams. <laughs> if you dream of carrying a whip, that's what you should do. No. <laughs> uh this has been really great thank you so much for coming out thank you for asking me it's uh very very flattering to be asked of course, so mate. i just you have an amazing story i think more people i'm just thrilled that i'm going to be able to bring people the story of this guy from the suburbs of brisbane who now is involved in a cornerstone of popular culture well i hope it I hope it was I hope it was as exciting as you're thinking it is. It totally is. I hope it didn't put people to sleep. So and if it did, nighty night. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm gonna take your photo. Okay. Very good. Well that was Matthew Schofield. He's on Twitter at Mr. Underscore Schofield, S-C-H-O-F-I-E-L-D. You can tweet him right now, let him know that you heard him here. 
And if you freeze frame any of the closing credits on this or last season Simpsons, uh, you'll see his name written up there, full full page in that very famous font. Yeah, Matthew Schofield. He's a really lovely guy, and I'm really, really grateful he took the time away from his busy work and family life to come and do that. You can hear how busy he was, and he took a good couple of hours out of his life for me. So I hope that left you with something to work with this week. Thank you so much for listening. Without you, I wouldn't be able to do this show. So have a good one. Sleep well. Dream of beautiful things. And I will talk to you next time. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Are you a reality TV junkie? Do you ever think, dang, I wish I had someone to talk to about all the trash TV that I watch? Well, look no further, garbage lover, because Reality Gaze is a podcast for you. Hello, I'm Maddie. And I'm Poodle, and we're the Reality Gaze. We talk about all your favorite unscripted shows like The Golden Bachelor, Love is Blind, and TLC's big, messy behemoth 90 Day Fiance. And if you're driving to work, folding laundry, or just pretending to listen to your husband talk about sports, just put on the pod, and you've instantly got two gay besties spilling all the tea and reading these people for filth. So come at us, y'all. Find Reality Gaze wherever you listen to podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com <laughs>